very welcome to the second installment of our brand new Insight series hosted by BSI in partnership with McAfee. Uh, my name is Stephen Bowes. I'm the Global Practice Director for Data Management and Security Technologies here at BSI. And I'm delighted to be joined today by Nigel Hawthorne, who's the Cloud and Privacy Spokesperson for McAfee. Hi, Stephen. Hi, Nigel. How are you? On yeah, today's good. episode, we'll be discussing the hidden costs of privacy and cloud and compliance and talk about specific use cases around this and what happens when companies strategically choose not to be compliant. Um, so listen, talk about source of inquiries. Like where do these data privacy um, inquiries come from? What is the primary sources? And there's a number of them that we've seen with our clients. DSARS is one of the big ones, the data subject active request. You know, under Article 15 of the GDPR, this is something that people have to deal with. And as, as it says, they need to be dealt with without undue delay. DSARS can be costly, and we'll talk about what those costs are in terms of time and in terms of money and other factors. But these aren't, aren't the only source of data inquiries into, into companies that we've seen over the years. Prior to DSARS and, and in conjunction with there's Freedom of Information Act available, so people can inquire of information about themselves. We've seen internal and external audits, whereby there could be an incident internally, so an internal audit function will, will, will request data from various sources across the, uh, the organizational data, you know, data maps. There's also commercial litigation where there's been a dispute, where a supplier or a client has been unhappy with a service or a supply of goods or services. And as a result of that, that litigation could go to court and you may be asked to you know, disclose information, find it, source it, and, and produce it. There's also regulatory uh, requirements. So previously, what we would have talked to clients is people who were in what we would call regulatory industries, so pharmaceutical, financial, and others. But of course, with uh, GDPR from 2018, pretty much every organization globally is now subject to a regulatory uh, and compliance requirement. And these can be major sources of data privacy inquiries and you know, try to find data from your systems. And finally, but certainly not rooting out as criminal investigations, um, whereby somebody could be acting and have fallen foul of the rule of law, in which case then you may need to engage with, with law enforcement and with the authority in that space. So lots of different sources of inquiries that can come into any given organization at any moment in time um, and that will require you to to find data to to review it analyze it and produce it for for a, a relevant party uh, we've also noted in 20 in 2020 you know it's an incredible time of uncertainty we're, we're seeing the impact on industries across many many verticals calling out specifically stuff like hospitality and travel and so on and we're seeing a growing number of incidents and these come from various different factors. They can come from, we've seen internal employees being disgruntled, people who are being furloughed in consultation and acting and reacting a certain way. And, that, and we're seeing a growing number of incidents in that space, which are causing an increasing number of internal investigations. Um, you know, so, so accessing sensitive data. We're also seeing increased commercial litigation. We're seeing more disputes in place as companies are, are trying to retain cash um, they're squeezing uh, their supply chain, squeezing terms and conditions within the contracts, and as a result, litigation can ensue. You know, so we're seeing uh, quite a bit of uncertainty here, and, and there's you know a, a lot of sources of, of inquiry into, into organisations around retrieving their data. We're also seeing companies weaponize uh, some of these tools. Um, you know, so you can actually use a DSAR as a weapon to a degree, and there's two ways of doing it. One is that you can, if you're in the middle of a commercial dispute through litigation, you can enable and, and request a number of DSAR uh, requests or freedom of information requests into organization. And that can slow things down because they have a duty under GDPR to respond to them within a time period. 
um, and that can slow things down. And that, that's a, that's a form of uh, you know a tactical form of approach that can be taken. Uh, we also know that when there's a criminal investigation and a commercial litigation, that one takes precedence over the other. In which case, the criminal one takes precedence over the commercial litigation. And indeed, any data disclosed as part of the criminal investigation in the court of law can then be used in the commercial case that follows. Um, so what's very important for organizations is to have really strong policies around this. And we would specifically call out two policies uh, for, of note. One would be data retention and one would be data destruction. Um, what's very important for organizations to do is to identify within their area of expertise what their regulatory and legal requirements are in that space for, for data. What, what, are they, what are they required to hold it for? Is it seven years? Is it four years? Is it 20 years? Depending on which industry you're in. So identifying what that is, identifying which data falls under that regulatory requirement, and then putting the appropriate data retention and destruction policies in place. So you'll retain that data for that period of time. But there's no point in having a data retention policy if you don't have a data destruction policy. So once your data retention policy expires, once, once that data has gone past, for example, three or five years, whatever your retention policy states, then you have to have a way of destroying the data and destroying it securely. And, and the, uh, what we've seen from practice in terms of both judiciary and regulatory authorities, they're perfectly fine if you, if you are required to disclose data as part of any of the above reasons I've mentioned, these are as litigation or otherwise. And you say, I cannot disclose this data because it, it was destroyed last year as per our data retention and destruction policy. Well, that's perfectly acceptable. And retaining data that you has gone past its uh, retention date uh, can be a big hindrance to a company because if you do have it on your systems, then you have a duty to disclose it. And that can hinder you. It, it hinders you in terms of having to manage that data, having to protect it, encrypt it, store it, back it up, um, and so on. But also then, if you do have it, you have to disclose it as part of any inquiries that do come in. Uh, Nigel, from your side, have you seen the similar? Well, yeah, and you talk about data retention and destruction policy, but actually, before you start that, you've got to know where your data is. You know, to be able to execute this, you need to have a map of your data, uh, who has it, how to address it, collating it, how you provide it to whoever is um, asking for it. This, of course, could include your own on-premises systems, multiple cloud systems, and even individual user computing. So what's often called shadow IT. You have to have visibility into all of these and to be able to crawl and look for the data that is required. And, and a quick example of this, I've spent much of my life working in marketing departments and marketing and sales groups often run their own small email service. Even if it's just an individual salesperson with a few hundred names, where they occasionally send out emails. So they're collecting data, they have that data. Is it just on their laptop? If one of those people then asks either to be forgotten or issues a SAR, will that be known? How can the organization find that data and appropriately communicate? So you need to ensure that you're communicating to all your staff, that um, if an individual should be removed, it should be removed from all systems. But before then, really ensure that all employees understand your policies, your policies on collecting data, storing data, retention and destruction, whether or not they're allowed to keep individual data on their own devices, or if not, which systems they do use to ensure that everyone in the organization is using the same common um, IT services. Yeah, it's very interesting. And, and if we talk about a, a case that's very well known in the public domain now, um, which is the British Airways case, quite timely case, and, we, and this is all about the hidden costs. 
you know, prior to the breach that occurred in, in BA, um, there's no way for, for the CEO and CIO of, of BA to have figured out um, that this breach would occur and then to realize what, what could have resulted as a result of it. That's a hidden cost. There was no way of them to know. So we all know the story. It's been well flagged over the course of the last two years in terms of the breach that occurred. The initial finding by, by the ICO office, the commercial office in London, uh, which was that they were to find uh, a notice of intention to find uh, BA uh, about £183 million starting for the infringements of the GDPR. Um, what happened then was the mitigating factors were taken into account by, by, by all parties concerned. BA fully cooperated with the inquiry. Um, they made several improvements to their security posture to ensure that the event didn't occur again. But most pertinent to this, uh, this particular podcast here in late 2020 is the fact that, that the economic impact of COVID-19 was taken into account by the ICO. They, they looked at the business model, they looked at the mitigating factors, but they looked at the effect of COVID-19 on the business. And as we know, BA being in that, that travel industry has been one of the most adversely affected industries globally in 2020. And as a result of that, the final fine that was issued just recently has come down to, to 20 million sterling, and that's been a, a, accounted for on the BA books. Um, you know, and that's that's very pertinent to it, and that's a hidden cost. That was something that twenty million pounds, which is the final figure that that it has been rounded out, was not construed by BA back in twenty eighteen prior to the breach, and that's something all organisations need to have a think about in pro rata scale to their organisation compared to BA. I think it's been interesting how people have discussed this final fine of twenty million. I've seen people who have said, you know, this is almost a. 85 to 90 percent discount on the initial um, plan and are we not taking this seriously well honestly I think 20 million pounds is a serious amount of money for any organization and so um, yes it may be less than the initial headline figure but it as you say you know they've taken in the situation since and the um, actions that BA have taken. Um, there's also a class action lawsuit pending for uh, the individuals whose data was lost. So there's still ongoing costs, as well as, of course, the costs of remediation and working together with the ICO to do the investigation. So I think we all need to take this seriously. Um, in anybody's uh, book, 20 million pounds is a lot of money. Oh, it certainly is, it certainly is. And you know, just talk about a, a client I've had a personal experience with. I was I was in London uh, some time back, and as we know, the UK government uh, issued a digital strategy in 2017, uh, which outlined for for uh, government departments and and you know other councils to, to to go digital to to make you know pr pr provide better reaching audience to the audience, make it easier for UK citizens to access the UK government service and so on. And I was with a, a leading uh, UK government department who had been very much at the forefront of that strategy, took it on board, built it into their plans and were going at it very, very much. And I was in there uh, on a security engagement, just having a, a discussion with the CIO. But as part of that discussion, as part of the conversation we were having, we, we touched on GDPR, we touched on obviously Brexit at the time. And uh, he mentioned casually that he had 40 people sitting in an office. Uh, you know, an area office just doing these sorts. And it was just like, oh yeah, we've got 40 people doing that. And again, talking about hidden costs, um, you know, th this is incredible. So, you know, when we're talking about the hidden costs, I think we can break them down to three kind of core areas. Uh, and the first one is time. We know that there's a major time element with, with these type of inquiries. And, and all the above inquiries, there's all time elements, whether it be for a regulatory uh, authority, whether it be for a court case that's coming up, or whether it be these are so you've got 40 days to respond. 
So, you know, the more data you retain on your systems, the longer it takes. It's it, it's a simple, the mechanics of the situation. It takes longer to to run a report on a, on a larger data system. It takes more time. It also it's it takes longer to to process the data in if you're if you're processing a month end type system if you have that type of system in uh, you know you have to be archiving those systems so again the the more you have the more time it takes to archive and then of course the, the other elements of it which is data protection uh, data backups data restores business continuity if you were to have an incident and you have to in, invoke a continuity engagement you know a procedure or process if you have 10 terabytes and or 100 terabytes there's going to be a big difference in your rpo your recovery point objective and which is the, the point at which you can restore to and your recovery time objective which is the total time it takes to recover so time is a major major element and should be a consideration for any of anybody listening here who has a responsibility for data when they're thinking about some of these hidden costs the other thing is of course the actual cost itself money uh, and time is money you know, if you are, are spending longer waiting for reports, then you can't act on that report earlier. That could give you a commercial advantage or disadvantage. Um, you've also got, as casually mentioned by my CIO colleague, you've also got 40 people sitting in an office responding to these cells, running searches, generating requests, doing quality assurance, and, and, and running through those processes. Those staff could be working under tangible operations, other tangible projects, and, you know, uh, you know, customer service, client facing, process improvement, whatever it is that makes the business or whatever makes your government department more efficient, more effective, uh, and so on. But no, they are costing money, and you you may even have to engage with uh, third party vendors in terms of technologies to bring in technologies that you may not have brought in previously for that purpose. Um, and of course, the final thing is around efficiency. And what it is is this is very specific around the hidden costs. Uh, is that these people are costed on the balance sheet already they're budgeted as part of the budget so these people could be comprised of members of the IT department they could be members of the compliance department risk department legal department so they would have been costed on the balance sheet the year ahead anyway and so what's happening is for a lot of organizations when they're responding to these type of inquiries and requests they're not the actual cost of these requests is not being called out explicitly rather it's implicit in those departments and what you then see is exactly what I'm saying a lack of efficiency from those departments that I've just previously mentioned, because they're not doing things that they would have been freed up to do if the DSR and other data requests had been um, had been explicitly called out and or could have been mitigated. So that it's a difficult situation there. You've got time, you've got money, you've got efficiency. People could be doing something much more useful to the organisation. So, what steps did um, this organisation take? Yeah, well, there's a number of steps you can take. Um, and the first one is around data governance, which is a big topic. And I think this is one of the core topics for any organization going into 20, 2021 and forward. Uh, it's about knowing about your data. It's knowledge, it's data knowledge, and it's data you know, governance around that. So for example, you mentioned previously, Nigel, around the data mapping. So where is your data hosted? Uh, On-premise, in the cloud. If it's in the cloud, in which geolocation, with which providers? You know, Do you know where they are? And do you have control over them? And do the data owners have control over it? Um, where the data resides is very important in terms of geolocation, especially as it comes to stuff like GDPR, uh, Brexit, uh, to be to be defined and something we've been talking about for years and years at this stage, um, with the Americas, uh, with the, all the new, uh, you know, Trems 2 struck down and, and Privacy Shield and, and Harbour all being struck out and, and question marks around there. So it's very important to understand the data state and have that data map in place. It's very important for data owners to know where their data is and to take that accountability and responsibility and to inform all members of the organization around their data responsibilities. Um, the second piece 
is around what we call the three P's, which is policies, process, and procedures, okay? Uh, and to have those in place, I mentioned some of them previously, data retention, data destruction, um, to have them clearly defined and also clearly communicated. There's no point in having a policy that's sitting in a policy share, but uh, and people agree to it, like, like an Apple terms and conditions every time there's an iOS update, uh, but don't actually understand what it is they're agreeing to or actually work on, you know, at, at a ground level, you know, invoke those policies. So it's very important to, get the fourth P, which is the people, to, to follow the three Ps, to make sure that the people are informed, they're trained up, they, they accept the responsibility uh, that they do with, 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 those, um, with those policies and, and processes. And the third area is the, is the technology. There's no point in having really good people and really good policies if your data set is too big and you haven't got the technology to map to it. We know that the volume of data is growing exponentially. We're seeing it at a personal level. You know, even just take it again, stick with the Apple ex uh, example I just gave. The phones don't come with 16 gigabytes anymore. The minimum phones are now coming with 64 gigabytes and you can get phones up to a terabyte in store in data terms. We know from IDC's um, reports that there's a 30% growth year on year in data sizes. So this is not going to get any easier. It's going to get harder, which means you need to be more clever. So you need to make, make the technology do the work. Um, so bringing in, as you mentioned, Nigel, you know, having in place technologies around shadow IT to know exactly where your data is, which cloud services are being utilized. You need tools that will be able to index your data, that can be able to talk to your various data repositories and to be able to log on there, see where your data is, report on your data. So when that, in that inquiry comes into you or into your department and lands on your desk and says, I need to produce this amount of data in this time frame for this matter. And no matter what the time frame, no matter what the matter, no matter what the reason is, you would have the tools and the technologies um, that you can actually reach into your data state. You know where your data is, you know what location it's in, you know who the data owners are, and those policies and procedures that we've clearly defined previously is uh, is available to you, and that you can then respond to that to that um, request, no matter where you know the original request comes in from, in a timely fashion. Um, so I think that's very important. Those three areas are the, are the ways to reduce the cost. Data governance, policies, process, procedures, and technologies. So with that in mind, I think we, we, we've covered off quite a bit around the, the hidden costs of, of DSARs and other inquiries. We spoke about uh, what are the uh, sources of these inquiries. We gave a couple of examples in terms of public examples and, and from our own, uh, what we're seeing ourselves on, on the ground. We've identified a number of the costs in terms of time, money, and efficiency, and a couple of steps that you can take to help reduce those costs around data governance, policies, process, procedures, and technologies. Uh, Nigel, I want to say thanks very much for, for joining me today. Uh, we're looking forward to welcoming you back on a couple of episodes in, in the future. To our listeners, we hope you enjoyed this uh, second installment of our six-part insight series covering privacy, compliance, and the cloud. So many thanks for joining us. In our next episode, we're going to be looking at notes from the field some case studies and examples of data and privacy threats. I'm looking at the potential cost of doing nothing. So finally, if you can, please make sure to subscribe to the upcoming episodes and to receive notifications for future releases in our six-part series. Nigel, thanks very much for today. Much appreciated. Thank you, Steve.